0: Tim Morgan to come to the front. I'm just kidding, you, Tim. But uh, Sherry Hogue, come on up here, Sherry. All right, how about uh, just an encouraging uh, golf putt? Uh, uh, good to have you with us here, Sherry. And uh, <clears throat> I have some uh, questions here uh, in the Palm Pilot that I prepared. And uh, I picked Sherry for, uh, for for several reasons. And uh, let me start by Letting her tell you a little about, a bit about herself. Um, you know that Sherry. I remember you used to be down in this room. Mm-hmm. I was down at the end of the hall trying to study the Bible and do the Lord's work, and I could hear Sherry whooping and hooting, uh, teaching an aerobics class in here. We tried to
1: get into town. it would not.
0: Count. Yeah, uh, didn't like the uniform. But um, anyway, my my, uh, <laughs> my uh, question to you is: you you had this vocal difficulty. And it removed you in a very real sense from corporate worship, and I know that you longed for it. And just tell us about your voice and and all that, and give us an update. And, and great, right. it's
1: um, kind of making me nervous. I was, um, well, it's like what um, Jim said. I got. Um, they never really figured out what was wrong with my voice. It started in the summer of 1997, and um, most of y'all know me and know that I'm a very big talker and. All of a sudden, I was—I um, I couldn't talk anymore. It was the weirdest thing. It wasn't a thing wrong with my vocal cords. They were perfect. I saw every doctor in Memphis. Um, I never um, lost use of my vocal cords. They finally decided that it had something to do with the muscles that move your larynx up and down. And. Mine would get fatigued real easily, and they never figured out why. I went to Mayo Clinic. I, I've seen every good doctor on this continent, and nobody really ever figured it out. And um, it's a little bit better today. You think, well, she's talking. but um, And thank the Lord that it is better today because it's been um, three years. And I, I can talk a lot better now. I still, I'm not back up to my potential, but I can talk better now. I just have to really watch the amount of talking that I do. And uh, do you want me to talk about the corporate worship? Yes.
0: What you missed it.
1: Right. Um, why did you miss it? Sir? Well, here you know, um, it's like everything that extracurricular in my life. It seemed to be involved in this church. I taught aerobics here three mornings a week, and I was a small group Bible study leader, and I had taught Sunday school here for five years. This is not a I'm so good works person. It's just all everything I did was here. I was in the drama group. I um, was in the Titus Two and You program. Everything. That i was involved in in church required a voice and so um it was very sad but i had to quit everything i was doing and i I missed everything so bad and coming to church was the worst part um i I I dreaded coming every sunday and every wednesday because it was such a reminder of what i couldn't do anymore and all of my friends were here and you know i would see everybody and i want to talk to everybody and i can't talk and um, I would wave and they was going to get me a little flip chart you know but coming to church was very painful because all of a sudden I went from a very active member to a very passive member I would come and simply just, just sit and listen that's all I did and pray
0: Alright, well, let me, uh, this goes on the internet in just about an hour, so that's why I'm doing this. <clears throat> now, here's really the reason, you know that we're doing, if you haven't been here, we're doing a, a five-week study on worship. Uh, here's really the reason that Sherry was on my heart, is because uh, I'm up there waving my hand around and uh, trying to lead and sing and all that and squint my eyes and everything. And I would look over there and I would see in that area over there Sherry with her mouth moving and uh, I, I, I would say, oh, is your voice better, and da-da-da-da-da, and she wasn't singing. She was just moving her lips to the words. Why were you doing that?
1: Okay, I'll tell you. And that was been my secret. So if y'all are standing by me on a Sunday morning it, and you don't hear me, I know people look at me going... But um, I, oh, here's what happened. I was very sad because um, I couldn't sing. And I'm a horrible singer. It's not that I couldn't sing. And I was really hopeful. I'm telling my friends, this, you know how sometimes people have chemotherapy and their hair falls out and it grows back and it's like a different color or it's curly or something? And I was really hoping that if my voice came back, I would be a great singer. <laughs> but I'm not. But um, I, I couldn't sing. And um, and so we'd all stand and um For a while, I would just stand there as we were singing, but I felt really guilty about it. I thought it was a terrible witness to people around me. If you know, people maybe even visiting our church or people that knew I was a Christian, and here they had just said, "Would you please stand and sing?" and I just stand and I don't sing. And I I thought that's a horrible example. And so I'll just pretend that I'm singing, (laughs) and so i thought you know i could even sing loud now so i would just act like i was really belting it out but i wasn't singing a word and but i was acting like i was and i found out that when i acted like i was singing i told jim one time that the song of my heart became very glad again because even though i couldn't sing the notes you know how singing just lifts your spirit it's you know music it just has that effect and you can turn that radio up and all of a sudden, even though I wasn't singing with my voice, my heart was singing again, and so it was um, it was a fun thing. And people thought I was actually singing unless they were standing by me. So that was my secret.
0: All right, all right, staff here. Well, um, now sit down. Oh, no, Thank I you, Sherry. No, 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 you have to sit down. Uh, oh, wait, no. Do you have no, no? Come up here. You have something? Come here. All right.
1: I brought a cheat sheet. Um, this is what I had found that Spurgeon had said that I thought was so neat. Um, he had used this verse from Psalm fifty one15 that said, "O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall fo- show forth your praise." And he said, "A great singer pardon, a great sinner pardon makes a great singer. Sin has a loud voice as should our thankfulness. We who are saved should not sing our own praises, but those of the Lord our, our righteousness, in whose merits we stand righteously accepted.
0: That's Excellent. A good choice. Good choice. How about Sherry Ho, ladies and gentlemen? She read me that quote on the phone last night, and it's just, it's great. Um, all right. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Revelation chapter 19. <clears throat> and we'll start in verse 1. Revelation 19, starting in verse 1. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, both small and great." Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then... The angel said to me, "Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. May we pray again. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if any of you know know any uh, broadcasting people, but uh, if you don't, then you have not been truly annoyed, Uh, because broadcasting people, uh, basically the the problem is, uh, wherever you talk to them, you're on the air. You're at the, would you like some french fries with that suit? Well, yes, I'd like some waffle, or should I get the seasoned fries? You know, they're always on the air. And uh, I got a call from one of these guys, well uh, oh, probably three years ago or so. He was a DJ at a Christian radio station. And uh, they sent they send him to Music Boy, and Music Boy, I pick up the phone, and he says, Hey, dude, how are you doing? And I said, okay. And he said, Hey, I hear you do the music in your church, uh, dude. And uh, I, I wasn't very accommodating. I said something like, uh, indeed. You know, I kind of was trying to thwart him a little bit. And basically, his trip was this. He had this girl singer that he wanted to have come into our church and sing a song on a Sunday morning. Well, that's great. Uh, and she had a very interesting story. She had a, a child who was, uh, who was paralyzed. And it was this, she had a very wonderful testimony. And a perfectly valid CD and, and all that. And I have no objection to people writing songs about uh, all kinds of topics. But here's the problem. Uh, he, he was getting on my nerves by saying, he said, well, uh, first of all, uh, it's kind of upbeat. And uh, you know, those old people, you kind of shake them up a little bit. Well, you know, I have no problem with upbeat. But I, uh, I don't like this whole, uh, you know, them old people. You know them old people; they don't like upbeat, and and so he was already kind of getting on my bad side. But here's the here's where it really took a bad turn. Uh, the song was called Preaching Machine. All right, now you already chuckle at that. Uh, now look, it was written about a fiery preacher. You know, he had fire in his eyes and a Bible in one hand, you know, and a you know rag to wipe a of sweat off in the other, and and that's 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 fine to write a song about that. It's fine to perform a concert. It's fine. And let me tell you, we have a fiery preacher here, don't we? And it was con- you know, it was like he was a one-eyed, one horn, flying purple preaching machine, It was country, you know. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, you chuckle at the at the title, preaching machine. My question to you is, why can't I allow that in church on Sunday morning? Why? Because we're not there to worship Jimmy Young or any other fiery preacher. Who's the object of that song? Some dude it can't be. It cannot be. One of the questions we have to ask ourselves about this text today is, why was the angel so upset? You have this very glorious scene, uh, God being worshipped in heaven. And then in verse 9, it says, the angel said to me, John uh, the Apostle, write, uh, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I, the Apostle John, fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do it! I'm a fellow servant. And he goes on to say, Worship God. Why this big reaction from this angel when the Apostle John falls down and attempts to worship? Well, angels are rational creatures. And the angel gives a rational reason for, to John for not worshiping. He says, Hey, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers. In other words, you and your other, the other apostles, you and those dudes, I am a fellow servant with you. And I'm not to be venerated or put in at a higher place than you. Ladies and gentlemen, angels, apostles, how many of those, and you and me, we have a lot in common. Uh, we're created. And we are to together bow Together, fellow servants, bow before the God who made us. Bow before the God who is to be exalted in a very unique place. Uh, exalted that he be given uh, a place of honor and glory, the worship that he's due. Uh, by the way, that's not the only place that the Apostle John attempts to fall down in worship. If you flip ahead of just a couple uh, chapters to chapter 22, uh, verse 7. Uh, Behold, I am coming soon, Jesus. Jesus. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. Now, Jesus was being quoted by the angel. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and all of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Why such a big reaction? And I I tell you that it really, really is a big reaction. Um, Oh, turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 17, um, verse 16. Um, Acts 17, verse 16. It says, While Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy in Athens... He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now we read that and it's easy to fly past it and say, oh, he was greatly distressed. Uh, Okay, he was a little upset or whatever. And uh, let me read you the King James Version. Um, Paul waited for them at Athens. His spirit was stirred in him. You think, okay, well, uh, but let me give you a a few more renderings that might have a little more punch. Um, Listen to the uh, New American Standard Uh, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. Let me give you one from this uh, paraphrase. Eugene Peterson's The Message. I don't think any of you have ever looked at that, but the longer Paul waited in Athens for Silas and Timothy, the angrier he got. All those idols, the city was a junkyard of idols. All right. This is, um, oh, J.B. Phillips. Listen to this. Paul had some days to wait at Athens for Silas and Timothy to arrive, and while he was there, his soul was exasperated beyond endurance at the sight of a city so completely idolatrous. And let me give you one more. This is Jerusalem Bible. Um, Paul waited for them in Athens, and there his whole soul was revolted, at the sight of a city given over to idolatry. His whole soul was revolted. I mean, the, the notion of glory that is supposed to be directed to the one true God, directed somewhere else, revolts his soul and he gets more and more provoked and angry and upset. In fact, a fuller, deeper, of the, uh, a deeper meaning of the word uh, uh, there would be a rapid, a sharp, digging, pain, uh, acidic, he is so he is so distressed over the fact that God is being uh, robbed of glory. You know, it reminds me of Jesus uh, when he, he looks at Jerusalem, and um, uh, he he says, you know, he's just got he's just gotten done uh, just slamming, blasting the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and he considers Jerusalem and and her adulter uh, adulterous behavior. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I mean, there's this distress in the voice, the heart of the Savior uh, over this this adulterous behavior. I think that is the attitude of the angel toward the Apostle John. When he tries to bow in worship, the, the angel is... Is appalled, you know, uh, this sharp, piercing, acidic reaction at the notion. The notion. And I think it's that we know so little of that, uh, that the modern day Christian church has such little zeal for worship. Uh, it's not for lack of worship services. I mean, we have worship services everywhere we look. Uh, informal. Come on in. Uh, you know, it's almost like we're using this thing as bait. Come on in. It's okay. How would the angel have reacted to that notion and the use for such a thing? Uh, the angel, I suggest to you, reacts so sharply because in his rational and sinless uh, mind, and let me stop there for a second. You know, whenever, whenever I say sinless, that a, that a being is sinless, there's always an eyebrow or two that's going, well, sinless. Are there sinless beings, ladies and gentlemen? Of course there are sinless beings. The angels who did not fall are sinless. Um, Cherubim, seraphim, who dwell in the presence of God, they are sinless. They are holy. Because if they weren't holy, they couldn't be in God's presence. What about the saints who have gone before us? Are they holy? Are they sinless? Of course they are. And I'll tell you, um, I'll tell you, um, people who have loved ones who were in Christ that went before you, um, they are rejoicing, shouting, worshiping in a way that you and I just cannot grasp. When the streaks of sin are removed, when the, when the hazy gray fog of sin that clouds our vision of God and His resplendent glory is lifted, they, ha, they are in no, no greater joy than they could possibly be. Why? Because rational and sinless are synonyms. A sinless being is a purely holily rational being. A sinless, rational being looks at the one true God and can't do anything but say, glory, fall on his face, be full of joy and rejoicing. So here you have this angel that that knows by a rational and sinless perspective that if it's not true worship, if it's not worship in the way that God has prescribed, then in a very real sense, it is robbery. You know, in, in Malachi 3, God says, you know, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You know, don't bring me your scraggly old, you know, your scraggly old sacrifices. I want the, I want, don't just throw a couple quarters in the plate. I don't even feel that, God. here, That ought to pay for the coffee. God doesn't want that. He says, bring in the whole sacrifice. Would you rob God? Here's my question to you. Is it God's money anyway? You know, it's his money anyway. What is God being robbed of if he owns it all anyway? I suggest to you that the answer is glory. He's being robbed of the glory that is due his name. For the angel to John, it was his great concern. Uh, Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. Verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. What does that mean? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Look at verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. You see that glory has been misdirected uh, Ken Jones, who you know is teaching a class with Richard Hall, uh, was sitting, I think, right there uh, last week, and he came up and he said, that's it, man, that's it. I mean, God has built into us this, this desire to worship, and what sin does is it misdirects it. That's exactly it. What happens when sin is directed away from God? God is robbed of the glory that is due his name. And the angel is so upset. Uh, let me tell you, in John's defense, if you still have a finger in that passage. In John's defense, um, angels, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, I know this contradicts Germantown homes, but uh, angels are not cute, uh, chubby little babies uh, that are just, you know, let's put them on a toilet paper uh, in a packaging. Uh, you know, an angel has his own glory. An angel is, has been in the presence of God and is resplendent and glorious and holy and overwhelming. And, uh, you know, he delivers this, uh, this uh, message to, to John in verse 9. The angel said to me, write this. Uh, and he added at the end of verse 9, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. You know, here's John in the presence of not some chubby little cherub, but he's in the presence of this radiant glory who even says, this is the word of the Lord. And he, he, he says... <laughs> he falls in the presence of glory. You can kind of understand why he might do that. But the angel's so upset because he says, no, oh, no, no, I know you're, oh, you're overwhelmed, but not me. The one true God, he's the only one worthy. And that's something that we need to take into our thinking, men and women, that this unfallen creature has such a sharp aversion from even the notion of that any glory would be misdirected from God to anything else. By the way, that is the great motive even for all manner of evangelism. Um, I'll tell you, um, the ultimate motive for evangelism is not the Great Commission. We are to obey the Great Commission. The ultimate motive isn't the Great Commission. I'll tell you, um, I have an 88-year-old grandfather who is in very poor health, has all kinds of ailments, and who is outside of the kingdom, and my heart breaks for him. I have friends and neighbors and acquaintances and, and all kinds of people in my life that I just ache for, don't you? But the ultimate motive for evangelism isn't because I want so much for this person to find relief and satisfaction and all that. The ultimate motive... Is that someplace, somewhere in the world, in some person's life, God is being robbed of the glory due his name? Now, that might sound like a radical notion. It's not, it's a biblical notion. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, to save me from my sins. Well, I'll accept that. I don't like the phraseology. I'd rather you say, well, he saved me from God's wrath, his righteous indignation uh, upon sin. Uh, but I'll take uh, judges yeah uh, save me from my sins okay but if, if the question is posed ultimately why did Jesus die on the cross don't say to save me from my sins ultimately he did it that he would be ascribed glory that his nature would be displayed in the heavenly realms is that where the way we go through life uh, as this angel would Well, in a positive sense, what does the angel say to be true about worship? Of course that God is the only one for whom it is due. Uh, And uh, since that is so, our conception of how we are to do that must be shaped uh, by Scripture. It must be altogether uh, otherworld. You know, it must come from a a God as the source. Um, I'll tell you, um, I I teach uh, several chapels a year. Um, I'll do a little ECS elementary school chapel, you know, and I'll, I'll do little chapels here and there. And I even do, once or twice a year, for the past few years, I've done uh, a Catholic elementary school for the severely retarded. And uh, let me tell you, that is uh, quite a teaching experience. Uh, and they'll tell me, uh, we well, have it's Thanksgiving month, and so if you could do something on Thanksgiving, that would be wonderful. You know what my topic is? Justification by faith. Uh, if it's uh, be nice to your neighbor month. You know what my topic is? Justification by faith. <laughs> and I swear to you uh, that it can be communicated to an elementary school uh, full of severely retarded children. Well, my whole point is that every time I do one of these kinds of things, uh, you know, very shortly thereafter, I'll get all kinds of drawings. And uh, it's amazing how accurately they d- depict my head. Uh, <laughs> many of the pictures are portly. Uh, and uh, then I'll get these cute little things, and I just uh, isn't that sweet. And thank you for bringing the eggs. And they remember every little prop and stuff that I that I bring. And it's just adorable. You know, it's just sweet as can be. But ladies and gentlemen, uh, after 48 hours, you throw it out. It's cute, but you know when it's your kid, you stick it on the refrigerator. When your kid gives me something, I'm like, yeah, that's really cute. But you know. It's bad art, you know, I just, I, if, I, if I put it on the wall of my home, my, it, my wife ain't going to let me do it. Plus, she's an elementary school teacher. What are you bringing this home for? I look at it all day. It's bad, you know. My whole point is, these sweet kids with all this genuinity and sincerity of heart make this thing that they're just sure will be wonderful, a wonderful keepsake, you know. Uh, but it ain't what I want. It sure ain't what she wants on the wall. Well, we must be very careful to impose what we think God wants and say, here you go, God. I mean, I glued some rice on it and put a, you know, a cloud, and here you go. What does he want? Well, I want to show you some very uh, uh, explicit things in our remaining time. Uh, if, uh, why don't you turn to Psalm 23? i got to move quickly. Uh, I'm going to turn to a couple other things while you do that. Uh, if you're in Psalm 23, I'm going to read to you from the, the end of Deuteronomy. L-l-l-listen, listen to what, to what this is pointing to. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. You look at a passage like that, and it's just attribute, attribute, attribute—the uh, greatness of God. He is a rock. He is perfect. He is just, faithful, does no wrong, upright. And even if it speaks of a work, it always thrusts you back to who He is. Um, oh, you're in Psalm 23. Um, you know, very familiar. We've, we've read it a million times. We've prayed it. Uh, but look at it. The Lord is my shepherd. You could do a three-week series on that, the fact that he's my shepherd, the fact that he shepherds, the fact that he's the Lord. I shall not be in want. What does that, what does that thrust you to? If you shall not be in want, it speaks of His gracious provision. It speaks of His great salvation. It speaks of the fact that He is all-knowing. It speaks of the fact that He is omnipotent. Not only does He want to help you, but He he can. That you shall not be in want. Uh, You go on. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He must be powerful to do that. He leads me. He restores. He guides. uh, And on and on. Um, Flip ahead to Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. All full of attributes. And you look at this this parallelism that just keeps coming and keeps giving meaning. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord thunders over the mighty waters. It goes on to say that the voice of the Lord is powerful, majestic, breaks the cedars, uh, and so on. Shakes the desert, even the desert of Kadesh, big. You see that when when we read about, we read people worshiping, appending such things. It always brings us back to who God is. And if if it talks about leading the Israelites out of Egypt, it always thrusts you, brings you back to who He is. That is authentic worship. You know, it's okay to say, you know, folks, I mean, it's it's touchy-feely all over the place. There's nothing wrong with feeling. We're going to talk about that more next week. But let me say this. Um, I sing because I'm happy. What song is that? Eyes on the sparrow. I sing because I'm happy. Well, why? I'm just happy. That's it. Let's close in prayer. I sing because I'm happy. No. I sing because I'm free. Well, that brings in all kinds of things into play about who God is. His eye is on the sparrow. Well, he must know all things. He must peer through the heavens and see these intimate little things. And he must I mean it just it just tells us that He is who He is and He causes us to focus on those things. You know, folks, I I, uh, I wonder if we understand heaven at all. Um, I, I think that we tend to think that heaven will be this life of single adulthood and we'll live in some little cottage and prune roses and, and oh, it'd be another beautiful sunset, Lord, you know. Uh, is that what it's going to be like? I, I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, in, in every instance I can think of in Scripture, where, where beings come into the presence of the Holy God and they are made right to do so, what do they do? They fall. They shout. They cry out. They rejoice. You know, to be absent from the body is to be present in the Lord. And I tell you that the victors walk right in and they, they hear this rush of hallelujahs. I wonder if we understand heaven at all. They're—they're they're not sitting around Mayberry playing checkers. You ever seen a movie called Contact with Jodie Foster? You know, it's like evolution 101. I mean, this is a st- stupid movie. They build this machine, and she goes and goes through this wormhole in space and meets these aliens. But there is one notable line. She pops out at the end in alien land. And it is this wide array of colors, and it's just outstandingly beautiful and tearfully. She says the words. You remember the line? They should have sent a poet. You know, just saying that moves me (laughs) because I think of heaven and I think of how overwhelming it will be to step into that resplendent glory and say, Oh, that I were a poet. That I could describe, that I could acknowledge, that I could receive it all in, but we never will. Eternity passes, eternity passes, eternity passes. We'll always be amazed, always be overwhelmed. This is the God that we worship. I close with just a couple things. I have a few pet peeves. I have pet peeves like uh, St. Peter jokes. Uh, yeah, you heard the one about St. Peter, and you know, there's a rabbi and a salesman, and uh, I hate those jokes. You know why? Because it, it it ain't real. But Christians, you know, I get, them, I get every time somebody gets a new gateway computer, there's a cow box in their street, and I get 85 emails that I've seen a million times. You know, St. Peter, you know, all these other things. Um, I have other pet peeves, like, uh, I'll just I'll limit my list of two, lucky I hate to hear Christians say, well, I was pretty lucky that uh, such and such, or they might even throw God in the mix. I was pretty lucky that God brought that wonderful thing about. Luck doesn't exist. It's not real. Why do we throw it around? Well, folks... Am I too picky? Yeah, I'm probably too picky. I know I'm, I've got a string. I've got a picky, weird personality. You know, must you analyze everything? Tammy would say, probably, you have to analyze every line in the whole movie, you know? <laughs> yes, I do, because I'm sick. But also, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, must we analyze everything? Must we? You'd better believe it. We ha- we are to test everything. And what's the test? Does it square with Scripture? And worship is no exception. Well, I think this, is, and I think God likes that, and I think that. Does it square with Scripture? What does God want? What does worship look like when we see it in print? To what does it thrust us, and what is jettisoned from us when we square it with Scripture? Um, I close by saying this. When I was, uh, I was a very small child, I was at the Brooklyn uh, Brookfield Zoo in Chicago, and uh, we were eating hamburgers, and uh, there were bees all in J- yellow jackets. And I was eating this hamburger, and I was just, mm. And uh, I just, mm-hmm. and this bee flew in and stung me on the top of my mouth. And uh, let me tell you, you know, you're just good, you know, black Angus beef, you know. And uh, the next thing you know, there's this big shock and it's, it's very stinging and very sudden, uh, probably not unlike the sting that the angel would have had on his heart and the stab that the Lord Jesus might have felt when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Does that describe you and me? You know, we see, we see a lyric in a song and we see a billboard in a church and we see printed materials, books on our shelves. Do we look at it and say, does that square with Scripture? Is that accurate? <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, might we be a people who will not, must not, cannot let things just slip before our eyes. <coughs> We have to be a people who test everything and respond sharply. We have to be a people who look at things and ask ourselves continually, does it rob or ascribe glory to the one it is certainly due? Let's pray. Oh, God, exclusively, the glory is due you. We find that we are no different than a wandering nation, Israel. We find that our hearts drift this way and that, and that our affections are after many different things. We find, Father, even in the course of a day, even in the, even in the saying of the word amen and the closing of the word, we find that we are so quickly pulled two other things, and we pray that, that particularly this people, oh God, would be a people who, who, are, who are acutely viewing the world in which they live, acutely viewing the circumstances around us, acutely viewing what we will allow into our minds and accept into our hearts. We pray all these things for your glory, and we pray them, Father, um, tenderly for our church. We pray that she would grow up and that she would, over the years, gain a greater and greater understanding of just who you are and what is required of us. I pray for myself, Father. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.